today on February 3rd, our lesson is to love and to cherish. And our text is Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, which read as follows. If there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. God bless the reading of his word, and let us bow our heads in a word of prayer. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you afresh for the total sufficiency of Jesus Christ, for the perfect teaching ministry of your blessed Holy Spirit, and for his ability to explain your word. So give us the words to say and let us say them with liberty, with clarity, and with boldness, and that somebody listening might believe the report. Thanking you in advance for all that you are going to do in the strong and perfect name of Jesus Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. Now, thank you very much for coming to hear the message for today. And before we begin this, our next lesson, let us reiterate our reason for attending church. We attend church to obtain the mind of Christ, meaning to have the Bible illuminated in our minds so that we can clearly understand the principles that Jesus taught and base our daily personal decisions on those principles. We come to church because we want to be obedient to the Bible, which is the doctrine of Jesus Christ in an informed, insightful, and intelligent manner. Now, in our last discussion, we dealt at length with the twin commandments in Ephesians 5, 22 and 25, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, and husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. And I tried to make the argument that as counterintuitive as these commandments may seem in our liberal age, the contents of these biblical commandments are is straightforward and clear. And since these con commandments conflict with the sentiment of the times, we as the people of God should recognize that it is the sentiment of the times rather than the Bible, which is incorrect. This is an important understanding to have. Every generation has the opportunity to duplicate the experience of the Israelites who stood on the river back bank opposite the promised land and listened to Moses as he expounded the law of God to them. The Israelites were charged with going into the promised land which was inhabited by pagan kingdoms to destroy the pagans and establish a nation state based upon the word of God. Moses charged the Israelites in Deuteronomy chapter 30, says, for this commandment, which I command you today, is not too mysterious for you, nor is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who shall ascend into heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, 
and to keep his commandments, his statutes, and his judgments, that you may live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live and that you may love the Lord your God and that you may obey his voice, and that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. We are not going into the land promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but each of us has his own personal kingdom to establish in this free country in which we live. However, if we decide to slay the Canaanites and the Philistines of the contrary ideas with which we are surrounded and follow the commandments of God, we must, as did the Israelites, go against the culture of our times, which portrays marriage as a battleground between husband and wife for control of the home. I spoke a couple of weeks ago about a man who endeavored to get help from his counselor because he and his wife were using argument as their primary form of communication. The counselor advised the man to stop arguing with his wife, stop trying to put himself in the dominant position and his wife in the subordinate position, stop trying to compete with his wife as though they were immature siblings, each trying to be the one that daddy and mama loved the most. Competition between spouses for position is analogous to sibling rivalry. The difference is being that spouses are not siblings and that mama is not the one who can settle the dispute as to which one is more loved. What causes married couples to go into this rivalry for position? Why do we argue and fight with one another? Understand that our circumstances do not make us argue and our conditions do not make us fight. That which makes us fight is our feelings. Remember the marriage vow that we reviewed last week. I take you to be my wedded spouse to have and to hold from this day forward, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part, according to God's holy ordinance, and thereto I pledge you my faith. The essence of the vow, Removing all the adjectives and all the descriptive phrases is, I take you to be my wedded spouse, to love and to cherish. When you marry, you are specifically pledging that you will love and cherish this particular person. It is inherent in human nature to desire the feeling of love. The reason for the existence of sibling rivalry is that the siblings feel that there is only a certain amount of love available and they each want their share or maybe more than their share. But love is like any other commodity. When there's not enough to go around, people compete for it. 
with goods and services in the marketplace, people compete by paying more for commodities, and we see prices rise. When there is a scarcity of the emotional commodity of love, people compete by arguing and fighting with one another for the love that is available. We remedy the scarcity of a commodity by producing more of it. We can remedy a scarcity of love by producing more love. And the word of God, if we follow it, can lead us to produce more love. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 and 2 tells us, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if there is any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. The spirit of marriage is the thinking process that gets husbands and wives on the same page, causing them to be like-minded, of one accord, of one mind. That's why having limerence, the temporary feeling of passionate connection that we feel when we find someone who is, as they say in the vernacular, hot, is not a good criterion for picking a spouse. To become like-minded, to be on one accord, to be of one mind with one another requires the use of the mind, i.e., thinking and decision-making rather than emotion. Like-mindedness is not the function of impulse or instinct. Like-mindedness is not the function of emotion or physical attraction. Like-mindedness is the function of a calculated assessment requiring intelligent consideration and intentional commitment. Listen to the rest of the text in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4 says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each person esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interest of others. Can you see that if husbands and wives decide to focus on the desires and interests of their spouse rather than just their own interests, if husbands and wives decide to have more esteem for the desires of their spouses than of their own, that like-mindedness between the spouses will develop. Like-mindedness is the opposite of egoism. Nothing can kill a relationship quicker than an egotistical spouse. Consider the writings of a young woman to her counselor. She said, my husband and I got married when I was 24 and discovered that I was pregnant. I told him upon our agreement to get married that I was going to continue to work and we were going to keep everything, quote, separate and equal. I had my own checking account and he had his own. We even filed separate tax returns. There was no way that I was going to be, quote, dependent, unquote, on any man. But after our little girl was born, I came to the realization that I really did not want to go back to work and leave her with a sitter or in daycare. I didn't come, out, come right out and tell my husband, how could I admit this weakness and then on top of that be dependent on him? So instead, I became resentful and angry. I hated him for existing. I hated the fact that I wouldn't have my own money because I thought I wouldn't have any power in the relationship because I wasn't contributing financially to the household. I was going to be a mom and dependent on a man. 
everything I was indoctrinated against. I went back to college and obtained another degree. You see, I needed a job where I could make good money, take care of my baby, and not be dependent on my husband. While in school, I spent less time with my husband and my daughter. I was always angry and unhappy with my husband. My husband reacted to my anger with confusion at first, and then anger of his own, and our anger toward one another escalated. Finally, in the midst of an argument, he told me that he was tired of living like this and wanted a divorce. As he left the house, I began planning for my divorce. I knew that I would have to get a job to make the money that my daughter and I would need to live, but then I would have to find someone to take care of my daughter while I worked. My daughter would be from a broken home, but I knew that I could manage somehow. I called my mom to talk about the situation, and she asked me, what happened? Has he had an affair? Is he spending the money on wine, women, and song? Or has he lost his job? Has he done something so that the police are looking for him? Has he hit you? What is going on? I told her, no, he isn't doing any of that. We just can't get along. But why? You fell in love, you got married, and you made a child with this man. What is he doing that is so terrible that you can't live with him? Asked my mother. Mom, I didn't say that I wanted a divorce. He wants the divorce, I told her. But why? Men don't want divorces without a reason. There has to be a reason somewhere. Tell me what it is. Maybe he just lost his temper after an argument. I don't know, I told her. Dear, my mother said, my granddaughter can't be from a broken home unless there's a good reason. You can't get a divorce from your husband, and your husband can't get a divorce from you unless one of you has a good reason. You two can have arguments and lose your tempers, but that's not a reason to divorce. You have to have a reason. He has to be doing something to you that makes you want a divorce. What is it? Finally, I said, Mom, I just want to be on my own. I want my own money. I want my own life. I want to be able to do what I want to do without asking him. I don't think that a man should control me. Yes, yeah, said my mother, that's what I figured. After you couldn't tell me anything that he was doing to you, you want to be on your own. But dear, that's a hard life. Being on your own is no picnic, especially with a baby. When you go back to work, you won't be able to do what you want to do. You'll have to do what the boss tells you to do. After work, You'll have to do what the baby needs you to do. And not only will you be on your own, you'll be alone. No man will ever be good enough for you. You have a man that isn't doing anything bad, and he's not good enough. You'll be on your own, alone, forever. Think back to when you were single. You didn't want to be alone. You wanted to get married. Now you're married, and you say that you want to be alone to be single, and you want your own way. But you will have a boss on a job and the responsibility for a baby. Somebody is going to tell you what to do either way. Do you want it to be your boss, who doesn't really care about you and will replace you if you give him trouble, or your husband, who loves you and puts up with you? Think about it. Are you sure that divorce is your best decision? No, Mom, I said, I guess not. 
Dear Mom said, we are all disappointed sometimes when we can't have our way. But now you have a baby. Now you have a marriage. Now you have responsibilities. It's time for you to be the grown-up. You can't pout like a little kid anymore. You are a wife and a mother, and you hold the lives of your child and your husband in your hand. It is your job to make them happy and to make them a home. You have to stop thinking about yourself and think about them now. If you had a job, you'd have to think about your boss and your customers. How could it possibly be better having a stranger for a boss and some people off the street for customers than having your very own husband who loves you as your boss and your very own child who came from your body and loves you as your customer. Take care of the job that you have at home and forget about getting another job that is harder and gives you less satisfaction. If not, you'll be on your own and you won't like that either. As I listened to my mom and thought about what she said, I decided to grow up. My priorities changed. I realized that my behavior and attitude toward my husband wasn't God-directed. I was going to make up, break up my marriage and my daughter's home in the name of my independence because of my stupid pride. So I decided to change. Now I love my husband, I love my children, I'm learning to be dependent on him. He loves me and he is a good boss. I pray that I can be a better example for my daughter and son. Talking with my mom turned me into the woman that my friends and I were trying to liberate during our rallies in college, and I am so very glad. What is love? Philippians 2, 3, and 4 says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. As I mentioned in our last lesson, biblical love, the product of the spiritual growth of a person in a biblically-based marriage, is defined as a set of outwardly focused, character-based actions. 1 Corinthians 13, 4-8 describes love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy. It does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. A person exhibiting biblical love has decided to be patient with, kind to, not envious of, not rude with, not easily angered by the object of their affection. Biblical love understands that the nature of a mature love requires perseverance and an outward focus. The essence of marriage is other directedness. Romans 14 and 19 tells us, Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. God created men and women to be different anatomically, biologically, physiologically, and intellectually. Men and women think differently, enjoy different things, have different strengths, 
different weaknesses and different points of view by the design of God. The fact that men and women have different intellectual and emotional strengths is by the design of God. Let me repeat that in case you didn't hear me the first time. The fact that men and women have different intellectual and emotional strengths is by the design of God. The fact that we have different attributes and different strengths and weaknesses is not intended to be a matter of pride for either men or women. God has designed us with different strengths and weaknesses so that we might be able to better work together with one another to accomplish the task of creating a home and a family. Men's strengths are not superior to women's strengths, nor are women's strengths to men's, just as an engine is not superior to a transmission in a car. Both engine and transmission are needed to make the car run, and neither part enables the car to serve its purpose without the other. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7 and 11 tells us there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Looking out for the interest of others allows us to see the benefit of our spouse's differing perspectives, the benefit of our differing strengths and weaknesses, and the fact that we need each other to create the environment in which our God-given task can be completed. For example, Men and women have different physiology as it pertains to marital relations. Men produce the cells that are their physical contribution to conception within a fluid medium on a daily basis, and the fluid involved is stored in the man's body. There is a size constraint upon the place in which this fluid is stored, is stored and thus men have this conscious biological requirement to release this fluid on a regular periodic basis. By contrast, women do not produce these cells as do men, but are born with all the cells that can become their contribution to conception. Storage space is not a consideration for women because all of these cells are stored in the woman's body from birth and released on a monthly basis by an automatic physical process outside of the conscious control of the woman. So in the normative case, men seek to perform the activity of releasing their contribution to conception with more urgency than do women who do not share the urgency of men because they do not have the storage constraint that men have. The difference in the genders is by the design of God and is not a matter of gender superiority or inferiority, but a matter of gender difference. And God designed marriage to deal with both the activity of conception and the difference in physiology and the urgency to participate in the act of conception between men and women. He tells Adam and Eve in Genesis 2.24, 
Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. As well as like-mindedness, being of one accord and of one mind to which our text in Philippians refers, the reference of becoming one flesh in Genesis also refers to the physical process leading to conception that I have just described. God first commands that men and women only participate in the process with one another if they are husband and wife. And then God goes on to clarify that because of the biological difference in motivation to participate in the process between husband and wife, that the marital commitment is a commitment to participate in the process regardless of the urgency of, or lack of urgency that either spouse feels. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 2 through 5 records, Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Self-control is an issue because of the biological difference in men and women. If we both had a capacity problem with our physical contribution to conception, or if neither of us had the capacity problem with our physical contribution to conception, our desire to participate in the process would be on roughly the same frequency, and the problem of self-control would not be an issue, as it is not for the lower animals. But since these biological differences exist in human beings, God has given us intelligence by which we can override our biological urges or lack of the same and participate in the process that brings relief to the male, not because of biology, but because of a commitment to follow the mandate of Philippians 2.4, to not only look out for our own interests, but also for the interests of others, namely our partner, as the text tells us. And the fact that husbands have the capacity constraint and feel the biological urgency to participate in the process and wives do not share this urgency also explains God's decision to give the husband the authority to direct the frequency of the process. Ephesians 5, 22 to 24 says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now, although husbands are given the authority by God to direct the frequency with which the couple participate in the creative process, the husband is under the constraint of God to provide an environment for his wife that will make her participation in this process as well as all other marital processes, pleasurable. Ephesians 5, 22-33 records, Husbands, love your wives, 
just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his wife and himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So our text calls for cooperation rather than selfishness and concern about the desires of our spouse from both husband and wife as we meld our lives together, both intellectually and spiritually, as well as physically. Philippians 2.4 says, let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. The Bible then goes on to invoke a remembrance of the activities of our primary spiritual leader, Jesus Christ, as a rationale for the selflessness with which we ought interact with one another. Philippians 2, 5 through 11 says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has also highly exalted him and has given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Thus we are instructed as to how we should carry out this sacrificial mandate. Philippians 2, 14 through 16 says, Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without faults, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. We are all on a sacrificial journey to emulate the demeanor and attitude of Jesus Christ. We are given the difference in physiology with one another to facilitate the conscious giving of ourselves to the marital process, and in so doing, emulating the obedience of the Christ who gave himself that our sins might be forgiven. Without sacrifice, there is no ultimate glory. Had it not been for the cross, there could have been no resurrection 
and no ascension into heaven. Without labor, there is no reward. Jesus instructs us to give ourselves to the commandments and to one another so that he can inhabit our homes and make them places of peace. He pledges to be with us as we love one another by meeting one another's needs and desires, and in so doing, show our love for him by keeping his commandments. He tells us in John 14, 23 through 31, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the father who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said I am going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me, but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, so I do. Arise, let us go from here. Arise, let us go from here with a determination to love one another as Jesus has loved us, so we must love one another. By this, all men will know that we are Jesus' disciples because we have love for one another. Let us each look out not only for his or her own interests, but also for the interests of others, particularly that of our spouse. Let us love and cherish one another. And that is our lesson for today. Let us pray. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you for this lesson, and we thank you for uh, the urgency with which you make your point that we have to love one another in order to shine as lights in the world. Help us to not be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, that we might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Give us the power and give us the desire to act according to your word as we go down from this place, that we might be pleasing in your sight, and that you may come and dwell with us in our abode, even as you promised in your word. And now, Lord, we thank you for all that are in the house today. We ask you that you give us traveling mercies as we go down from this place and then bring us back once again at the appointed time. And now, Lord, we thank you for all these things. We thank you for your goodness, for your mercy, and for your grace. And most of all, we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross, for rising from the dead on that Sunday morning. Thank you, Lord, in the wonderful name of Jesus we pray. Amen and thank God. Let us pray. 
Gracious God, our Father, we thank you this morning for that which you have given us in your word, and we ask you, Lord, that you would help us to uh, understand and to uh, determine that we ought to do as your word tells us to do. Help us to have a positive outlook on that which you say and to have faith that uh, your word is the most intelligent way for us to live our lives. Give us insight. Give us wisdom as we go down from this place and bind us together with cords of love that cannot be broken. And although we're praying for Dr. Allen and his family and also praying for Sister Allen and for those whom, about whom she is concerned, for Will, we're asking you that you give him strength through his trials. And for Brother Willie Wilson, we ask you that you continue to bless him as he is recovering as well. Praying for the storm, we're asking you that you increase their percentage of the uniform business and all other businesses that they are involved with, help them as they look for new avenues and venues to do business in. Continuing in prayer for Darling Sherrod, we're thanking you that uh, her recovery is coming along. We're praying for uh, your intervention in the life of Kevin Hardrick once again, and we're asking you, Lord, that uh, you keep his uh, situation safe in the hospital, allow them to give him the care that he needs, that he might be able to recover fully uh, from his accidents. Uh, we're praying for Maureen Dwayne Curtis, for Sheila Hersey, for Anthony White. We're asking that you bless all of the ones that Sister Allen has asked us to pray for, we're praying for Seneca and Takika. And we're asking you, Lord, that as they've come back to Lansing, that you would meet their needs as they are here and uh, give them that which they require, the strength that they need to recover from their situation as well. And we thank you for it. And we pray for Sister Allen. We ask you to continue to give her strength uh, as she deals with these children and with, these, with the store issues and with all the issues that she has come across in her life. Lord, I'm praying for my wife today. I'm asking you that you'd bless her, that you'd uh, complete her recovery from her uh, bout with the cold or the flu or whatever it is. Uh, we just ask you, Lord, that you go with and stand by her, give her strength. And uh, we're praying for uh, Rachel Deemer's mother uh, as she has uh, a myriad of problems and she is uh, holding her own and she's strong in some parts of her body and in need in others. And we ask you, Lord, that you meet that need that she has uh, according to your riches and glory in Christ Jesus. We're also praising, asking you, Lord, that you continue to go with our son and watch over him as he is doing that uh, which is bringing him gain. We ask you, Lord, that you would help him to regulate his schedule so that he can get everything done. And as he is plunging headlong into his technical uh, career, we ask you that you give him the technical skill that he needs that he might be able to complete the tasks that fall to his hand. And we thank you for it this morning. We're praying for all the rest of the ones that my wife has asked us to pray for as well. Praying for Rick, who's over in Germany. And we're praying, we're asking the Lord that you safeguard him there. And if possible, keep him out of harm's way. If he has to go back, we ask you, Lord, that you keep your arms of protection around him. Build a hedge that as he has to face the bombs and the bullets and the guns, that he will be able to have the strength of your protection around him and be able to fire back with accuracy and be protected from the firing that's come to, coming toward him. We're praying for the rest of the ones, for Eric and Amanda, as their child must be coming near to term. We just ask you, Lord, that you continue to go by that situation and bless them in it, Lord. 
child as they are bringing their first child into the world. Just go with them and stand by them as well. Praying for Brother Edwards and his family. Bless his wife and his sons. Give them that which they need that when they go to school, they'll be able to retain the information that the teacher is giving them. And we ask you also, Lord, that you would help them to um, help that family to stay strong. Just keep them close together. Bind them together with cords of love that cannot be broken. Just bless him and his students as well in his school. Bless his plans for the future as well. Pray for Brother Lee and for those whom he has asked us to pray for. We ask you, Lord, that you would uh, strengthen Cedric as he has been under the weather for a few days. And we ask you, Lord, that you would give his, his young body resilience and put healing power in it that he might be able to fight off whatever that bug is that he has and be able to return to school uh, tomorrow that he might be able to continue his academic studies. We pray uh, that the test that he took last week will, uh, will turn out to be successful for him, that he will receive the uh, scholarship that he is looking for, and we just want to thank you in advance for that as well. Uh, we're praying for uh, Samuel Lani as well. We're asking you, Lord, that you continue to bless her, and uh, we just ask you, Lord, that you would be with the Wills family in their bereavement. We just ask you, Lord, that you go with them and stand by them hard, in a hard situation. And we ask you, Lord, that uh, you would just give them strength, uh, give them good memories of Brother Wills, and help them to remember that he lived and had a well-spent life, that, that he's moved on to a better day. And we just ask you, Lord, that you give comfort in that family. Go with them and stand by them as they go through the services and all that are all that is uh, aligned with that particular situation. Just God, just bless them, Lord, this morning. Now, Lord, we're praying for Brother uh, Lee's wife as well. We ask you to bless her and those whom she's asked us to pray for. Just go with them and stand by them, and God, keep them together with cords of love that cannot be broken. We're praying for the McClure's as well. We ask you to bless them, Lord, and for the Montgomery family and, and their bereavement. We just ask you that you go with them and stand by them. Uh, we just ask you, Lord, that you give comfort to the family of the Veronica Holy as well. They're meeting with the hospice people. We just ask, Lord, that you go in that sick room and that you would uh, just give that child comfort. Just be with her. Go with her and stand by her. Just be a leaning post for the family. Just go with them as they deal with that situation. And we want to thank you for it. And continue to bless them and sister McClure. Uh, we thank you for them as well. Lord, I'm praying for Dad, and I'm asking that you... Continue to allow him to enjoy the time that he is spending in Chicago. We just ask you, Lord, just uh, uh, give him the mobility of his limbs. We thank you that his uh, sight has improved from his surgery. We just ask you, Lord, that you would uh, just allow him to enjoy these days. Allow him to be the patriarch and to be the, the voice of wisdom in his venue. And that those who are uh, in his surroundings might come to him and glean his wisdom and live better lives because of his influence on them. Praying for Marvin and then for Uncle Jab and Aunt Elizabeth, Uncle James and Aunt Barbara and for Aunt Naomi. Just bless the family. Uh, go with our elders and go with our seniors that they might be able to enjoy these days of rest that they have worked so hard for and are enjoying. Just keep them safe and keep them strong. Keep them healthy. We're praying for the others that are, that are on my list, for Brother Perkins and his young children and Brother Northern and his young children. We ask that you bless these men that are training their children in the way that they should go so that when they get old, they will not depart from it. Uh, bless, bless Brother Sifford is over in Iraq. 
It is asked that you go with him and stand by him as well. Give him the good word to give to the troops that they might be able to understand and know you in the pardon of their sins. Well, now, Lord, we thank you for this little place that you've given us here for the word and for making it plain. We're asking you, Lord, that you continue to bless us and that you would uh, uh, just keep us safe as we meet here. And I'm praying for all that are in the house. Give us traveling mercies as we go down from this place. Let us have a great week this week and come back uh, next week at the appointed time. And, Lord, I'm thanking you for my wife, who is the love of my life bring her back to hell, and then help us to enjoy the time that we have together with one another. And now, Lord, we thank you for all these things. We thank you for your goodness, for your mercy, and for your grace. And most of all, we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross, for rising from the dead on that Sunday morning. Thank you, Lord, in the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and thank God. As Jesus Christ spoke to his disciples in the upper room, he made it clear that it was his fondest wish that they would love one another. He said to them, love one another as I have loved you, you must also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples and that you have love for one another. Jesus made it clear that the sign of Christian discipleship was love. And as we go down from this place, let us remember the love that he showed to us as he died for us on the cross. And let us give ourselves to one another, emulating the love that he gave to us. Let us remember all that Jesus Christ has done for us. And let us remember him now as we eat and drink together. Now may the love of God, the grace of Jesus Christ, and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit rest on the Bible that's not henceforth and forevermore. Let every heart say, Amen.